Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on May 22, 2016, on the basis of John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So for this man named Nicodemus, the day had arrived. The day when everything that he had been told about Jesus was put to the test. Now, I probably don't need to tell you that, that the man mentioned in these verses from John, this man named Nicodemus, he doesn't exactly make the Mount Rushmore of familiar faces and famous people from the Bible, but maybe he should. Because it was actually a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that led to the writing of, hands down, the most well-known words in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world, say it with me if you know it, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There you go. Whether you realized it or not, you know those words, in part because of this man named Nicodemus. And for Nicodemus, the day when everything that he had been told about Jesus had arrived, everything that he had been told about Jesus was put to the test. You see, Nicodemus belonged to two very important groups of people back in Jesus' day. The one group was the Pharisees. They were the the spiritual leaders of the day. The other group was the Sanhedrin. They were the ruling council in Jesus' day. And Nicodemus actually belonged to both, which meant that Nicodemus was kind of a big deal. Well, the party line in both of those groups to which Nicodemus belonged was exactly the same when it came to Jesus. In their minds, Jesus was a menace. He was a troublemaker. He was likely delusional. In one way or another, Jesus was a problem that needed to be solved. But then Jesus came down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and and right out in the open, right out in public, he performed a couple of miracles. People saw them. And that was the day when everything that Nicodemus had been told, everything that he believed, everything he thought he knew about Jesus no longer worked. It no longer fit, it no longer added up because a delusional menace could not be doing the things that Jesus was doing. And so he planned this this undercover, middle of the night, hope none of my colleagues find out, visit to Jesus, where he explained, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Brothers and sisters, and especially the two young men in front of me, these confirmands, the very same day that had arrived for Nicodemus will surely also arrive for you if it hasn't already. The day when everything that you've been told about Jesus and the Bible and God is put to the test. You see, it is surely no secret that much of what the Bible says is greatly at odds with much of what the world believes. And we could think of all kinds of specific examples, right? From, from creation versus evolution to the point at which life begins and the importance of protecting and caring for the unborn to God's definition and God's blueprint for marriage and the family to even the simple idea that there is a God out there and that everything that happens in our world doesn't have a naturalistic, materialistic explanation to it. So far in your lives, the most influential people in your life have been people who who more or less think and believe exactly 
as you do. But increasingly, that will no longer be the case. You'll maybe notice it during these upcoming high school years. You'll maybe notice it as you head off to college. You'll maybe notice it when you get your first job or when you go on your first date. And yet, as challenging as will be, that inevitable testing of some of the things that you believe, perhaps even more challenging will be the testing of why you believe them. You see, one thing that you'll hear in our world today is that whether a person is a Christian or a Muslim, whether they belong to the Church of Satan, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, that's actually a thing, you can go home and look it up, that whatever a person might be, what makes them what they are, the reason that they believe what they believe is, is that it's simply how they were brought up. They're simply products of their environment, and we all simply believe the things that we have been told. And what you guys believe are things that you have been told. Told by your parents, told by your Sunday school teachers, told by your pastor. And so some would say the reason that these young men are going to stand right here in a couple of minutes and confess to you the words of the Apostles' Creed instead of the five pillars of Islam is simply due to the fact that they grew up in Iowa County, Wisconsin instead of somewhere over in Syria. In fact, a quick funny story. Recently, both of these young men, who, by the way, they both passed our confirmation class with absolutely flying colors, but recently both of them turned in written assignments for class in which they referred to this class that they've now completed not as confirmation class, the place where you go so that your faith gets stronger, that's what the word confirmation means, not as confirmation class, but as conformation class. The place where you go to conform the place where you go to get brainwashed, some would say, right? Here's what you're supposed to believe, and why? Because I say so. Your job is simply to conform. And so as challenging as it will be, when that, when that day arrives, when everything you've been told about Jesus and the Bible and God gets put to the test, as, as challenging as that will be, perhaps even more challenging is this underlying idea that the only reason you believe what you believe is because it's what you've always been told. So when that day comes, what do you do? This conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus is a perfect remedy for that, a perfect solution to that problem. But before we take a little bit of a closer look at this conversation, it's worth pointing out the tremendous logical inconsistency of, of that line of thinking. So we're told that we're products of our environment, right? That, that everything we believe is culturally conditioned and the only reason we believe it is because it's what we've always been told. Well, if that's true, then what other idea must also be subject to that very same assessment? The very claim that the only reason we believe what we believe is because it's what we've, been always, been, what we've always been told. In other words, someone who thinks that, someone who thinks that you only believe what you believe because it's what you've always been told only believes that because it's what they've always been told, right? And so the whole thing just crumbles underneath its own weight. It's logically inconsistent. It's also a completely inadequate explanation for your faith in Jesus. And in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus makes that clear, especially in these words where he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, 
but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So Jesus is saying that when we come into this world, we bring with with us some natural assumptions and some natural instincts about God. And those assumptions usually sound something like this. We picture God on the one hand as this very powerful, very loving God who only wants what is good and best for us. But on the other hand, we assume that God has expectations for us and, and wants us to live up to those expectations. Most of us would realize that we can't and don't live up to those expectations perfectly. And so we come to the conclusion that the only thing we can do is, is try our best to live within the, the system of rules and rituals that makes up our religion, do our best, and then at the end of the day, we pray that God would be merciful to us, that he would overlook our shortcomings, and that in spite of our, our flaws and our faults, he would still let us into heaven or paradise, or nirvana, or the celestial kingdom, or whatever you want to call it. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Every religious system in the world is simply a natural byproduct of our natural assumptions and instincts about God. Except one. Except Christianity. Now, maybe that sounds like a bit of a bold claim, maybe even an arrogant claim. And in a minute, we're going to see just how and why that is, in fact, the case. But here's here's how Jesus puts it. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, every other religion in the world is just a product of our natural assumptions about God, but the religion that Jesus established in the world is one that he himself brought down from heaven. And so this idea that that your faith in Jesus, that you have faith in Jesus only because it's what you've always been told, not only is that idea logically inconsistent and self-destructing, but it's a completely inadequate explanation for why you believe what you believe. No, that's why Jesus says that in order for you to have faith in Jesus, what's needed is divine intervention. What's needed is a miracle. What's needed is a a complete starting over, a complete wiping clean of the slate. Or as Jesus puts it, a completely second birth, a, a rebirth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially you confirmands, here's what that means. It means that you should never confuse when you were told the things that you believe with why you believe the things that you've been told. Let me say that again. Never confuse when you were told the things that you believe with why you believe the things that you've been told. Yes, you've been told these things from the time you were very little by your parents and your Sunday school teachers and your pastor, and you can thank God for that each and every day of your life. But in and of itself, that does not explain your faith in Jesus. What explains it is the divine intervention, the miracle working of the Holy Spirit, work that he began in you on the day of your baptism, when you were adopted into God's family and given the gift of faith work that he has continued in your life as you heard God's word in your home and at church. Work that the Holy Spirit continued as you've been studying God's word for the past two years, perhaps more intensely than you ever had before, and work 
that he will now continue as we welcome you to join us to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. Each and every day of your life, the Holy Spirit will continue that work inside of you through those means of, what do we call them again? The means of grace. He will use those tools to keep you in the faith that he started in the first place. So that's Jesus' explanation of why you believe what you believe. Do you think you can trust him? How do you know his words to be true, other than the fact, of course, that he's Jesus, right? Well, the perfect demonstration of what Jesus is saying in these words is these people's faith in what is arguably the most offensive and outrageous idea in the entire Bible. An idea that they believe wholeheartedly and and are about to confess to you that they believe wholeheartedly. And that single most outrageous and offensive idea in the Bible has nothing to do with the origins of the universe. It doesn't have anything to do with God's plan for the family. It's not that one guy in the Bible survived a worldwide flood while he was cooped up on a boat with every single species of animal on the planet, a boat that he himself made with his own bare hands without any power tools. It's not the idea that another guy in the Bible was swallowed by and lived inside a large fish for three whole days. No, the single most outrageous and offensive idea in the entire Bible is simply this, that God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God, the triune God, three in one, one in three, the God that you learned about when you studied the Apostles' Creed, a God that is so far beyond our fathoming that it's impossible that anyone would just fathom him. The God whose primary characteristic, whose chief attribute is the one that he was able to exercise from all eternity, even before he created anything, because he is a triune God. That chief characteristic being love. That God loved not himself, not Father to Son and Son to Spirit and Spirit to Father, but it says God so loved the world. The world whose true character you saw as we studied the Ten Commandments. A world that is broken and backwards, not just because of the terrorists and the serial killers and the child abusers, but because of the inherent and incurable self-centeredness of every single member of the human race, including the two of you, and including your pastor. God loved that world so much. Not that he formed a committee to study the problem. Not that he he sent down a self-help book so that we could read it. Not so much that he gave us a second chance so that we could get it right next time. God loved that world so much that he gave his one and only son. That he sent his son into this world to do what needed to be done for us. A son whose work of redemption you learned all about when we studied that second article of the Apostles' Creed. A son who came to live for you, who went to church every weekend for you, who listened when mom and dad said it was time for bed for you, who paid his taxes for you, who had only the purest of thoughts about women, even when he was a teenage boy, for you who always stood up for the outcasts 
for you. Who was beaten and scourged and hung and died on a cross for you. Who broke through the prison bars of death for you. God sent that son into the world that everyone who believes in him, not everyone who imitates him, not everyone who who tries to make their life look exactly like him or tries their best to be like him, but everyone who believes in him. In other words, everyone who stands before God sort of the way that, that you would stand at the help desk at a hardware store, trying to enumerate and list all of the different things that you need to get the job done. For everyone who stands before God and doesn't try to rattle off all the good things they've tried to accomplish, but simply says, I'll take one Jesus because that's all I need. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Not get out early on probation. Not have a repayment plan with lower monthly installments, but eternal life. A spot with him in heaven, free and clear. No strings attached, no questions asked. Friends, every syllable of that verse is the polar opposite of what the world thinks about God and our natural assumptions about God. And so there's only one explanation for how anyone would believe it. The Holy Spirit worked that faith in you. The Holy Spirit will keep that faith in you. In other words, the love of your Heavenly Father is only revealed to you by Jesus Christ, His only Son, and can only be taught and believed through the work of God, the Holy Spirit. So Christopher and Mitchell, when that day comes, when everything that you have been told about God gets put to the test, that's what you do. You simply entrust yourself to your triune God. You simply put yourself in his care by running to those means of grace, the word and the sacraments. You simply put yourself in the hands of your triune God because he has more than proven to you that he is fully able to pass that test. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.